0: Hello, I'll be reading from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, 12 through 17. That'll be in pure Bible, nine seven. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, has given me the strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to a service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out onto me abundantly along with his faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invincible, the only God, the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Today I will
1: be reading Isaiah chapter 11 verses 2 and 3 from New King James. You can also find it in the Pew Bible on page 641. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Amen. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, in the Pew Bible, page 1047. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are, we who... Our many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully.
2: Amen. In our call to worship today in 1 Timothy, we heard these words. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Every now and then, uh, I feel compelled to give the worst of sinners speech. And so I'm going to stand before you and confess that in at least one way, I am the worst of sinners. I notice that the church, and and I think many of you share this sin with me, um, so I'm in good company. I notice that this church right now is about 70% full and it's 1132 it was about 30 percent full at 1105 and officially church started at 11 well it'll say 1050 we do that so that you have 10 minutes of grace because we're a grace oriented church not a law oriented <laughs> church but you like me are trampling on grace and uh, I want to encourage all of us as a congregation for the sake of teaching, for the sake of our children, for the sake of all that is prepared for you by your Sabbath school teachers um, to make every effort to join us at 9.30 and at 11. And uh, this is again where I come with the confession. See, uh, I'm almost never here at 9.30, so I have to amend my ways. If choir rehearsal is at 9, I'm flying in here. Bunny, I'll tell you, at 9.02, 9.07, 9.09, 9.11. Oh, boy. See, I'll be getting out of Sabbath school, and I'll meet somebody I have to talk to, and then I don't get back to my office until 10.58, and we have to debrief for the service, and then it's 11.02. No, make that 11.05, and then something else. So we're starting at 11.07. I am the chief of sinners. So, uh, accept my corporate apology um, and enter into a a willful decision with me that we're going to make an effort to move forward with God's uh, teaching in a timely way, not because we're legalists, but because we've been given much grace and because there's much to share, and that will be a joyful thing. I know you can do it because you—you you, most of you hold down jobs. And if the job starts at 8 o'clock, you don't show up at 8.45. You just don't. Oh, and please don't call me if you're running seven minutes late to church. It doesn't work like a job like that. I don't want to know. Just come. Come on in. And if you were late today, I'm just glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. So, okay, enough of that. Paul isn't really talking about being late in his passage here in First Timothy. He's talking about the fact that he bears some guilt for the way in which he understood and handled the early Christian church. Known as the way, the followers of Jesus were persecuted by Paul and the Sanhedrin. They were considered to be a dangerous sect, an offshoot, teaching a terrible heresy. And if you think about it, we don't treat heretics much differently today either. When we perceive a threat to our corporate understanding or well-being, we can be rather difficult. Right now, the hot button in the denomination is something that several of our institutions have grappled with, and I know you've heard it. Seven-day creation 6,000 years ago. And we've actually um, cycled into such a state of concern about orthodoxy here that it's really not safe for anyone to comment in uh, academic or church circles on this subject. So um, I know it happens in contemporary times as it happened with Paul, but somewhere along the line, Paul has this experience of an encounter with the living Christ. And everything changes for him. He's no longer responding, responding to what he considers to be a dangerous heresy. In point of fact, he's turned himself completely around. And he considers it grace and great mercy and a wonderful privilege that out of his state of ignorance from which he did these terrible things, God has not only forgiven him, but God has called him and given him a work and a purpose, given him a plan, given him a people to reach. Who is the greatest missionary of the early church? Hands down, it's Paul. He had associates, John Mark, Barnabas, and others, but Paul is the one. There were disciples who went to other countries, John to Turkey and you know, various places. James and Peter were primarily the Jerusalem church leaders. So even though there was a, a spreading out, Paul becomes a seminal figure in the early church. Key figure in making everything happen. So here he is speaking, and I want to just pick up on a couple things that he said. I think Christ, this is verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12 of 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now that sentence has great uh, import because it wasn't just Paul that he trusted appointing him to service, it was you too and me. The thing about God is that even when we fail, He doesn't just forgive, He trusts. Now, that's a very different concept for most of us. There's a whole spectrum of people here. People who, you know, have the motto, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You're not a people of second chances. If you are, you're certainly not a people of third chances. There are those of you who are doormats and get run over by the bus time and time again and stand up and wait for it to happen all over again. A whole different set of problems there. So there are, there's a great spectrum of, of sort of predispositions or personalities, if you will, among us And yet what God teaches us, what God informs us of by his own choices and actions is, I know you've failed, I know that you're not worthy, but I've declared you worthy, I've chosen you, I've called you, I've redeemed you, and I'm going to trust you. What year is it? I do believe you're oriented and therefore, and mentally competent to, to hear the rest of this, right? 2012, when did Christ die, roughly? 31, 30, 30, 31 AD, somewhere in there? Okay. How long has it been if we do the math? Could God have not done the work between then and now? Could he have not finished what needed to be done? Theoretically, anyway? Theoretically, yes. But he trusted you. He said, I'm going to give you a work. I'm going to give you a calling. I'm going to trust you. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's a pretty amazing thing to not only be freed, to be declared innocent but then to be trusted and given a gift and a purpose. So I find this passage really, really helpful. I want to turn now to the, in order, the text that we read today. I want to go to the Old Testament passage we read in Isaiah 11. I don't know how many of you realize it, but when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, when we talk about how God has equipped the church to function, it isn't a new thing. It is from old. There were seven graces or virtues that are spoken of in the old way of looking at things. Nowadays, most of our spiritual gifts list are about 25 long. But this one is Seven. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear much, much fruit. Of course, you know the story here, or at least I, I hope you do. In 586 BC, the Babylonians took Judah. The tree was cut down, so to speak. Jesse's lineage was cut off, so to speak. And a shoot comes from the stump of Jesse. Who is this? Jesus. Jesus Jesus is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Do you remember when Jesus was in Nazareth and made that statement? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's referring to Isaiah 11. To declare freedom for the captives, etc. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom. Those of you who know your New Testament passages know that wisdom is one of the spiritual gifts. And of understanding, let's call that knowledge, one of the spiritual gifts. The spirit of counsel. That could be a variety of things, couldn't it? Exhortation, wisdom, could be a variety of things implied there. Um, and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. What might the difference between the knowledge and fear of the Lord be? Knowledge, we would say, is what we have here, Right? Kind of an understanding, if you will. Where would fear reside? Right here. It doesn't really. We feel it, fear, if we're talking about the emotion of fear, the reaction of fear, we feel that viscerally. But we're talking about a quickening that is a deep and abiding sense of love and respect for the living God. One that takes knowledge and implements it in wisdom and one that lives life then according to the pattern that God has established and set. It's pretty powerful. And it's right here embedded in the prophet of old. Jesus knew this passage. Jesus read this passage, and the New Testament writers did too. And as they explore what the gift means, not just the gift of Jesus and the spirit that was upon him, but the way in which he promised that same spirit To those who followed him and imparted that spirit to those who follow him and the gifts and the fruits that come out of that you know the fruits right joy peace gentleness kindness goodness patience etc those are the fruits the results but the gifts these are important too I have a book here on spiritual gifts and I'm gonna read a list. Most lists are about 25 long, and we'll see if this one has all of the ones that you're aware of and I'm aware of. There is the gift of the word of knowledge. There are people who know many things and we're lucky when they are amongst us. There's the gift of mission or missionary gift. There's the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, sometimes that one needs a little unpacking. We all exercise judgment in our daily lives and discernment. And perhaps this gift addresses that, but it goes even beyond that to knowing whether the source behind something, the inspiration or whatever, might be God's spirit or other. There's the gift of giving. Now, all of us have this to some degree. We know this to be true because Jesus commends the widow who leaves the two mites. Do you remember this story? Comparatively, it's nothing. But it's everything she has, so it's an enormous gift that she lays before God. We may only have two mites, But if we're willing to give it, we've been given the gift of giving. Helps. Most of us have this gift too, although not everybody exercises it. We're capable of picking up our trash. We're capable of putting our chair away at potluck time. We're capable of doing things to help maintain and clean, not only in our homes and work sites, but in our church. We can offer a hand, most of us. There's the gift of healing, and that's a special one indeed. We see this not only in the medical arts, which Adventism is uh, so strong in educating people for and believes in so soundly, and also the other side of preventative medicine and diet and exercise and healthy living that promote healing and wellness, but it's a spiritual gift as well. There are those who can do extraordinary things in prayer, and healing. There are gifts of service, and how precious those are, exhortation, leadership, evangelism, pastoring, exorcism, mercy, prophecy, voluntary poverty, hospitality. Intercession, administration, tongues, languages, teaching, interpretation of tongues, languages, faith, celibacy, the word of wisdom, and miracles. Some lists includes the gift of martyrdom, but I think that could come under voluntary poverty, missionary, or any number of these. These are the gifts that are outlined in the scriptures. You find them in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and in fact, Romans 12 is our next text. So turn with me to Romans 12. Just as you have this list in the Old Testament, there are corresponding lists in the New. Most of you know this well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, doesn't that go back to what we were saying earlier from 1 Timothy? Yes. To offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is true Worship. Worship isn't just confession. It isn't just words from our mouths. It isn't a hymn we try to sing or a prayer we hear. It is how we live and act. It is what we bring to the table. It is what we submit to God and how we live out our lives through what we submit to God. That is worship. It is work. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, let's get our heads out of the sky and clouds No unrealistic aspirations. We all need dreams, but let's be thoughtful about what God might really be calling us to and not consider ourselves too good to do it. I'm proud to tell you I've plunged a toilet many a time on this campus. It isn't my spiritual gift. (laughs) And indeed it tests Uh, me at some levels but I'm not above it it's not my calling but it's not something I'm incapable or unwilling to do so let's not think of ourselves more highly than we ought but with sober judgment for each of us just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same function so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are a partial list of the gifts. And Paul is just saying, whatever God's given you to do, do it. Joyfully, wholeheartedly. Embracingly, The most important sentence here, I think, is not that we're one body or that we have many parts or the illustration in general, or even Christ's headship. All of those are true. The most important part for me, at this juncture in my experience anyway, in my walk with God, is that we belong to one another. That's really powerful we belong to one another, which means that in a sense, our calling is no longer to consider just what works for me, or what's always convenient for me, or what it does is it removes the idea that consumerism in religion is okay. We're so used to being consumers. We thrive on it. I can remember some years back getting a tax refund. And I was such a cocky consumer that while I wandered around this department in, I must have been Macy's, for a long, 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 long time, and nobody paid any attention to me, and nobody uh, helped me find what I needed to find, or whatever it was. And I had specific things I wanted to purchase. I finally found a manager and said, what does a guy have to do to spend his money here? <laughs> oh, well, we can help you with that. So I said, I hope so. I have a tax refund check right here. I want to spend it here. He managed to help me get that done. Amazing how quickly it goes, isn't it? We are excellent consumers. And now it's been... And by the way, speaking of that, where's Dave Branham? I think what you were looking for for the 10-year-old girls is the iPad and the iPhone. Um, and that should speak to our new consumerist age as well. Uh, that's what a 10-year-old girl wants. That's what she likes. She can play with a virtual doll on the iPad. We'll just um... We're really good consumers. And it's translated to every aspect of our lives. If if the service isn't what we expect, at a restaurant we leave a penny in the ice glass. We're very good at expressing our displeasure. Many of us don't even feel the need to be reasonably polite to the people who wait on us or care for us. We're such good consumers. And when it comes to religion... Oh, do I dare go here? You must. You must. I must. I you need to preach it to from come this all corner. In. All right, <laughs> thank you, Lee, thank you. Anybody else? You wanna hear this? Okay, this is harsh. What do we do? Well, I went to that church, but the pastor didn't feed me.
0: Watch out.
1: Watch out.
2: <laughs> How do you tell somebody when to speak and when to be quiet? It's, it's, no. <laughs> I went to the Sabbath school, but I didn't really find anybody I related to. My kids didn't like the kids at that particular class. You know, I spoke to the pastor's wife, but she didn't speak back to me. You know, I've been there twice. Yeah, June of 2007 and August of 2009, and they didn't remember my name. (laughs) You know, I think I gave a dollar to them, and when I asked for help, they didn't have anything for me. We have become such good consumers that we have a whole list of expectations out of what church is going to do for us and provide for us. And that's the checklist that we're trying to get met when we're shopping for a church or looking for a place. We've forgotten to ask, what has God called me to do? What has he gifted me to do? And where is he calling me to serve? We've forgotten. Whose needs can I meet? Because I don't belong to myself I belong to Him and therefore to others. He isn't calling me to be fed or to have my needs met. He's calling me to feed. Now I do really sincerely, honestly hope that what I share with you, at least for some each week, feed somebody, make some kind of difference. I do want to be relevant. I don't want to just be a talking head up here. I do want to be a pastoral leader in the best sense of the word. So I'm open to your, your feedback. I'm in relationship with you. I want to know how I can help you best. That's different than consumerism. What I'm hoping you're hearing is that it isn't me And it isn't this church or this city or this community. It's where has God called you? What has he gifted you to do? And don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Put that in context because just as surely as he's called you, he's called the person sitting next to you. And just as surely as he's given you a gift, he's given them a gift. And he discriminates. Do you remember the conversation with Peter and John and Jesus? The disciples were saying, um, you know, really, do we, what about him? If, if terrible things are awaiting are, are all of us, why isn't John on that list? They, they weren't happy about the unequal treatment. In fact, some of them even got their moms to go to Jesus and ask that they be seated at the left and the right. They weren't thinking about what God had called them to do, what God had gifted them to do, and who they belonged to. They weren't thinking about what the path of service was going to be, whatever that looked like. They were thinking about themselves and how good they would look and what kind of position they might hold and what kind of power they might wield. They were thinking about lots of things, but not what it was going to end up being. I think on the other hand, I think you need to know this. Martyrdom may be one of the spiritual gifts, but thankfully it's one very few are ever called to and hopefully only for very narrow selections of of history. It's a tragic kind of gift to be called to. And the apostles ultimately were called to that gift. And because of their sacrifice, we have the spiritual sort of tsunami that's carried forward all these years. It won a whole new generation of Christians and kept the faith alive. But having said that, I don't want you to be a congregation that fo- focuses on the potential negative. I don't want to hear you say, well, I'll die for my faith. That's a wonderful thing to say. How about I'll live for my Jesus? Yes. I don't want to hear you saying, oh, the end is near. And who knows we're going to be called to? Yeah, the end is near. It was near 2,000 years ago. It could be tomorrow that Jesus comes or it could be another 2,000 and Don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. The disciples thought Jesus was coming, perhaps, in their lifetime. Yes? Be always ready. We're a people who preach the word of a soon-coming Savior, and He is coming soon. None of us knows when the end will be for individually or corporately. But that's not the focus. It's how do I occupy till He comes? How do I serve? How do I be the hands of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, the face of Jesus to a dying world? Because the world is always dying in one state or another. Unless you're a pure evolutionist, you know entropy is taking us down. Things are moving toward chaos, not order. But God calls us to be his creative act in the world. Giftedness is to restore creation. Giftedness employed takes chaos and moves it to order. Giftedness is your participation in the divine act of not just redemption, but creation before it. We have more to do than we have time, energy, or bodies for. There's always something new. It isn't my job per se, even though I'm paid staff, or Travis's, or the elders, or even the deacons. It's all of our jobs. It's all of our work. It's a corporate thing. My prayer this morning as you've listened to God's word is that he's spoken to you in some way that says, yes, God has a claim on my life and I want to acknowledge that claim. Yes, he has gifted me by his spirit and I want to respond. Yes, having gifted me and now me responding, I'll go where he calls me to go. I'm ready to serve. And I hope that that's here for a few of you, it won't be. But I hope that that's here. And I hope that, I'm speaking now to so many of you who have not been here and involved for many years. If you've, so many of you, this is such, I just have to brag about my church here for a minute, our church. So many of you take this seriously. It's fabulous. So many of you know your talents, your gifts, your spiritual walk, and you have been walking with God, actively employing those gifts in service to Him, not just in this church, but in your families and in your communities and in your workplaces, good for you, thank you, God bless you, that's awesome, so many of you. And I would say this church is as healthy as it is because an extraordinarily high number of you have exercised your gifts in this context through time. But we are blessed because so many of you are attending here or have been coming here a few times or been here a while but been here less than a year, less than two years. You may not yet have have figured it out or had a chance to, to know what's what. We want to work with you on that. We want this to be a place where you can belong to us and we can belong to you. And where God's work and service gets done because everybody's decided to put their hands to it. Everybody's listened for the call. I can't spiritualize it beyond that. Wisdom is, after all, the enactment and implementation of knowledge. The fear of God, after all, is the love and respect that leads us to obedience and service. It's not the knowledge. And what we need in this world is not people who know more things, although knowledge is a wonderful gift, and I hope you're all pursuing it. We need people who will be wise. We need people who will live out the fear of the Lord. For He is great, and He is mighty, and He is generous, and He is holy, and He is ours. Our nominating committee is going to be meeting over the summer. and. We've decided this year that we're going to help all of us know, who want to know, their spiritual gifts. So I hope that you'll be looking for the announcements and the emails um, that indicate when we might be having some of these uh, seminars in our fireside room, uh, weeknights or perhaps a Sabbath afternoon and you can come and take that seminar and learn about your spiritual gifts. We're also going to be pointing you to some online inventories that may work um in conjunction with what we're doing in the seminars to help us all know what God might be calling us to, and so that the nominating committee can take that into account as we develop our leadership teams and service teams this year. So I uh, hope that you'll participate in that. Let's uh, stand. We have a closing hymn. May the God who calls us equip us and bless us with the fruits of joy and his spirit. Amen.